I don't know about you, but Christmas for me is a wonderful time of reflection, a time where I spend some quiet in my own mind and in my own person, just thinking through the year and thinking about what God has done in my life for me. I think back on a lot of different things, a lot of, a lot of different moments in my life, and some of them wonderful, wonderful, some of them not so much. And yet in the midst of it, I thank God that he has done for me something that I could have never tried to make him do or certainly earned or I could never pay him back for. And that is to go to the cross so that I could have life and life everlasting. Uh, I think about Christmas and I think about family. I think about my family now and I'm so grateful uh, for my family. Love them dearly. And I think about my family extended. I think about uh, my dad this year, uh, certainly. I think of Pennsylvania. I've got family in Pennsylvania and through New Jersey and even in New York. And then I've got family now in Oklahoma and certainly Tennessee. And we've got family all over. I've got family in Switzerland that I haven't seen for quite some time. And so you, you think about family. You think of uh, the things that God's blessed you in and, and how you um, have, have lived and walked. And you kind of walk through those things. I don't know if you do that or not, but I do. Christmas uh, is a very special time in that. As we begin to reflect over the year and certainly anticipate a new one, and we begin to think about a new year coming in, uh, I think the importance of taking time with our family to really understand the reason for the season, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And taking time to be still before him and just to give him uh, the worship, the worthship that is due to him is essential. I don't know what you do with your families as a, as a tradition. Uh, because I'm a pastor, we've been involved in uh, Christmas Eve services for years, and that's become very, very dear to us. We also take time as a family, no matter how many times I read the story of uh, the birth of Christ at church and my family's here with me, we take time as a family to gather and to take, uh, we read Luke chapter 2 in the story of, of uh, the birth of Christ. And th those are important times. Those are, they focus us. Why do we give gifts? Because we, we've been given the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and following are some powerful uh, prophetic moments concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, chapter 2 through 7 he says this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. What a beautiful truth. What an amazing prophecy. This is years before the Lord Jesus Christ even came on the scene. And if you jump down to verse 6, we've got this statement that is made about the Lord Jesus Christ prophetically. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
And what's amazing about this passage is you're starting with the birth of Christ. You're starting with the birth of the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ himself. And then you're literally skipping in effect over the church age and you're going right into the millennium where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. We're going to be looking at that in a few weeks uh, Lord willing in Revelation and, and just what does the millennium look like? What's that like for believers to be a part of the millennium and for the Lord Jesus Christ to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem? But in this prophecy, there's given this tremendous uh, picture of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that he will have the government resting on his shoulders. He's going to be in charge. He will be in command. His name is Wonderful Counselor. He's Mighty God. He's the eternal father. He is the prince of peace. Peace. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift in history to humanity. Think about that. When we talk about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about the greatest gift to humanity ever. There's no one else that's like him. He's the unique one. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, Matthew picks up on this prophecy out of Isaiah, and he, in effect, restates it, and he says this, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. But what's interesting is in Isaiah, he says, will see a great light. And in Matthew, he says, saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. See, Matthew's talking about what's, what's taken place, what's happened. That prophecy that Isaiah gave has actually now been fulfilled. And Matthew's writing about it from the sense of we have the opportunity to see what it is that God has promised. We have an opportunity to recognize the truth and the reality of God's gift to humanity, which is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this great light, this prince of peace. We know the Lord didn't come into existence when he was conceived, but rather he has always been. He is God eternal. He became flesh. He became human at a specific point in time. And John 1.14 makes that very clear. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what I, I, this passage is so remarkable. Because all through the beginning part of uh, what John is writing about, he's always referring to the pre-existent Christ. The one who has always existed, has always been the eternal logos of God. The one that has always existed. And it's at this moment in his writing that he talks about how the word who has always existed, eternal God, became flesh, entered into humanity, entered into time. God of very God, the one who created time, literally entered in to human existence, becoming a child. Think about that. He goes on, he says, we saw his glory. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's ever hit you, but in the child Christ, this baby, we saw his glory. 
What? The true identity of the very heart of God. This unknowable God that we could never know in and of our own selves, that we could never come to the conclusion of uh, in terms of the reality of who he really is. We could recognize through creation that there's a God and that he's all-powerful, but we would never in and of our own selves come to the true, correct conclusion of who God really is innately, in his heart, in his very essence. And this baby Jesus, this child, we see the glory of God. We see the true identity of who he really is. Humble, lowly, willing to serve, not coming to lord it over, not coming just to rule and put down in order for his own benefit, but rather to give his life so that we might know him we might follow him and walk with him. John says we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word begotten, the only begotten from the Father, that literally means the only one of his kind, the unique one. There's no one that's ever been like him. There's no one at that time that was like him. And there's no one since that time that is like him. He is the unique one. Why? Because he is God become flesh, entering into time, and not just any kind of flesh, but perfect, spotless, sinless flesh, full of grace and truth, full, uh, overflowing, abundant, full of grace, full of truth. See, Jesus is unique. He's the only begotten. And in Hebrews 4.15, and this is sermon after sermon on this, folks. There is so much in this that it's rich and it's beautiful because when we talk about Christmas and we talk about Jesus coming to this earth and we talk about the spotless lamb of God going to the cross to shed his blood, perfect blood. No sin in it at all whatsoever so that when we believe in him, we may be forgiven. We're talking about the perfect one. Hebrews 4.15, he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus Christ understands what we go through. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, tested, tempted, he understands what it's like to walk on this earth and suffer. And he understands us and he understands exactly what we need. And he knows that he's the only answer to our need. But in the midst of it, what the writer of Hebrews clarifies at the very end of this statement, separating Christ from us, thank God. He says, yet without what? Sin. He doesn't say, well, he didn't sin. He could have, but he didn't. He says, separated from sin. He walked through on this earth and he suffered. He thirsted. He got tired. He grew hungry. He was beset upon, he suffered pain, yet in the midst of all that he went through, he, he never had sin, he was completely separated from it. It wasn't just that he didn't do sin, it's not that just that he didn't sin, but rather he was separate. Why? Because he's the perfect spotless lamb of God. He had no sin within him. He alone is able to go to the cross to pay for our sin. He's unique. John 1.18 further reiterates this. No one has seen God at any time. 
No one has seen God at any time. That word seen doesn't just mean physically see. It means to perceive of, to understand, to fully cognitively recognize. No one has understood or recognized or seen God at any time. The only begotten God, the one of a kind, unique one, who is in the bosom of the Father, close to the Father, one with the Father, what has he done? He has explained him. See, when you see the person of Christ and you watch him walk and you listen to the stories and you watch how he treated other people and you watch how he responded even even though he was treated wrongly and he suffered unworthily and he was placed on the cross with false accusations against himself, when you watch all the things that Jesus did and how he cared for those who were lowly, the sick and the hurting, the feeble, the outcasts, you begin to get a picture of who God really is and what he's done and why. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the one of a kind, unique son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have ever uh, eternal life or everlasting life. Think about that. It doesn't matter what status you are in society. It doesn't matter what you've been born into or what your circumstances are. Whoever believes will have eternal life. What a promise. What a beautiful truth. The name Jesus literally means Savior. And it actually comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which is out of the name of God, Yeshua means Savior. It means literally Jehovah, his help. Jesus or Jehovah or Joshua. It's contracted in such a way that it literally means to save, to save his people. The Lord delivers. What a beautiful truth. Maybe you're here this morning and you need uh, to be delivered. (laughs) You're going through something, a difficult time. Suddenly you're realizing, I don't know the full meaning of uh, Christmas. I've never really worshipped the Savior. I recognize him. I acknowledge him. It's a special time. It's a family time, tradition, whatever. But in the midst of it, you know a lot about the Lord, but you don't know the Lord. And I want to encourage you that you can know the Lord. You can walk with him day by day, moment by moment. And I want you to know this. He knows you. He came to this earth so that you would have the opportunity of believing in him and be saved. The Bible makes it clear that this salvation that the Lord offers is in him alone. There is no other way of being forgiven of sin. There is no other way to have absolute hope and certainty with regard to the future in terms of heaven and eternal life. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else, unequivocally, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Think about that. It's not about our efforts. It's not about how good we are or not. It's not about how hard we try or how sincere we may be. It has everything to do with whether we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or not. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And this is what the Lord came to do. He came to save. He came to rescue. That's what the word save means. Because he is 
the Savior. I love uh, where Paul tells the Philippian jailer, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He says the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because when he says the Lord, he's making sure that everybody understands that Jesus Christ has the authority and the power to actually do what he says he will do. The promise is unequivocal. When you believe in him, you will be saved. Why? Because God's made that promise. And he's the Lord, and he alone has the authority and the right to make that promise. What does he save us from? Oh, man. You can take a moment and think about that, right? What does he save us from? I think about my past, and I think about all the decisions that the Lord's rescued me from. The different paths that if it weren't for the Lord that I would have undoubtedly taken, that I was already on. I look at where I'm at today and I look at my family and I thank God for that because I know that I wouldn't be standing here today if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a fact. People can argue all day long about religion and everything. I know my own heart and I know what the Lord did for me and I know I wouldn't be standing here today if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Unequivocal. What did he save us from? Well, darkness, <laughs> despair, hopelessness, chaos, separation from God, not just on this earth, but forever, forever. What did he save us from? He saved us from our sin. He saved us in a way that we would have the opportunity of walking with him, not only now, but forever, eternally, eternally. Praise God for that. Acts chapter 10, verse 43 says, Of him, meaning of Christ, of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, by the means of his name, by his authority, by his power, because of who he is, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Can you imagine that? that isn't that an amazing promise? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Why? Because we earned it? Because we're good? Because, no, no. Because the Lord made a promise. Because the Lord chose how to save humanity. And it was by going to the cross to shed his blood and dying. And raising again on the third day. So that when we believe in him, he has defeated sin, he's defeated death. And as a result, we can receive that gift from him with the assurance of the promise that comes from the Lord God Almighty himself. What a beautiful truth. I love the message given to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Joseph was obviously confused, was distraught. The virgin birth, I mean, come on. Right? It had been prophesied about, but put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He was going to put Mary away quietly. He was struggling with the fact that she was with child. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary 
as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. (laughs) What a beautiful truth. What a gift, amen? When we celebrate Christmas, what we're celebrating is the greatest gift from God to humanity ever, ever. And this Christmas, my prayer is not only that you're able to celebrate that fully, but that you know God, that you've received this gift by simply acknowledging that you need him and what he's done for you, that you recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he went to the cross, that he shed his blood, that he was killed, that he died, that he was buried, but that he rose again on the third day, proving that he is the Lord, that he alone has the right and the might to be able to save. And by believing in him, by receiving that gift, that you too can know the Lord Jesus Christ and celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. As we gather with family and friends, as we celebrate this season, my prayer is that you know the Lord, that you're known by him, that you're part of his family, that you've been rescued and saved and that you can walk with the Lord day by day, moment by moment, knowing God, knowing God, assured of your future.